Hey, everybody. Welcome. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, where you're located currently, good good moment in time for you. Good that. <laughs> good that thing. That's it's a thing. special day today, Jason. Why? Today is our fifth episode anniversary. Wow. We've made it five episodes. Is that like a, a paper anniversary? Like, what did you get me? Uh, I got you five high fives. No, nice. Yeah. That's what you do for episode anniversaries, I think. Do you have to redeem them all at once, or can it be spread uh, out? I time? think they're my choosing. <laughs> oh, man. So, <laughs> so just whenever, whenever you demand a high five from me. Right. Well, you're not really a high five guy, so I feel like this could be like 10 years. Yeah, it doesn't have to happen tomorrow or okay. today. In the bank. Right. Got it. You owe me five. Wow. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. What do you What do you owe me? The opportunity to give you the things. Right. The Got joy it. of giving Got me it. a high five. Got it. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is Heads and Tails Podcast, and we're here to talk craft distilling. Uh, what's been happening uh, lately, Warren, the last four episodes or whatever, um, I want to talk about our rankings real fast. Okay. iTunes. iTunes. Is it makes it extraordinarily difficult for you to figure out download numbers and all this. As a podcaster, iTunes is a great delivery service, but that's all they do. Basically, right. you just go, you hand them your podcast, and they go, "Okay, people, hear it." Yeah, and then you go, "Oh, but how many?" And they go, "We can't tell you that." <laughs> As a consumer, they're great. <laughs> yeah, well, As yeah, a producer, sure. it's a mystery. Right? They just they're the shady middleman on the corner in the neighborhood. Right? You know, call them Flash or whatever. Like, hey, Flash, you got my yeah. It's don't worry about it. Man. People loved it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, how much did you? Don't worry about yeah. it. People love it. It's fine. Yeah, it's like the stock. Watching the rankings is like the stock market. I understand <laughs> it just as much. Right? It's really it's really kind of frustrating to to anyway all this kind of stuff. But I. Want one point we were on like the top 100 or the top 50 even of the podcast in our subgroup so we're like arts i think is our main group and then food is our subgroup something like that and we were like number eight in food or number seven yeah. i think we got up to and then um right and then in food we were like the top 23rd 23 podcast 23rd podcast yeah for that was crazy a flash moment i have a screenshot of it <laughs> there's and, proof somewhere <laughs> yeah i think if we ever do meet and greets i'm gonna print out a bunch of copies of that screenshot <laughs> and we'll sign them that's the first t-shirt <laughs> yeah, that's really is screenshot of right, iTunes. the screenshot um so thank you everybody to uh to everybody for listening to the show and telling your friends about it and, and enjoying it we've gotten a lot of really good feedback i'm very excited about this show um it's it's really kind of uh, different for for us yeah. to, to be doing this especially from two beer people it's kind of coming to the spirits world uh, but they're good stories you know they're good stories and they need to be told and uh and hey man spirits are are great i kind of think i like spirits more than beer right now. Yeah, I'm okay with saying that also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I went up to uh, Portland this last weekend, and I went to zero breweries. Oh, that sounds great. I went to zero <laughs> beer bars. I went to a rum bar. I went to two tiki bars mm-hmm. a couple of times, um, and um, then like hotel bars. But, uh, you know, I drank Rainier. So you had beer. You I had beer. I didn't, go, I didn't go to a brewery. And there was oh, okay. like a million different breweries in Portland. Yeah. Um, and as a longtime beer guy... Doing beer podcasts on the yeah. Brewing Network, um, I thought it was kind of cool that I was like, no, I'm not trying to, I don't need to go to breweries, I'm I'm kind of, I'm interested in spirits and mixed drinks right now. Thank you, you very much. You took a vacation from beer in Portland. <laughs> I really did. I really did. And it was kind of amazing. I'm going <laughs> to be quite honest with you about that. Uh, before we get to our guest, who is, of course, Marco Karkashevich. 
I think I got yes. that right. Uh, from Char Bay Distilling. Uh, he's on the phone right now. And uh, they sent us six different spirits, Warren. Right. Running the gamut of colors and flavors, I would imagine, as well. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm stoked to talk to him. But before we do that, I want to thank our primary sponsor, Pico Brew and the Pico Still. So if you are uh, a home brewer at home and you have uh, one of the Pico systems, the Pico C, I think it is, uh, you can get the Pico still as an attachment, and then you can distill, um, you know, of course, legally, federally, right? You can distill water water or herbs. Essential oils, oils, things like that. Hop oil. You can make your own hop oil. Do some hop extracts. Um, That being said, I think there's kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy with a lot of stuff that you do at home. So anyway, there's that. uh, If you're not a home brewer, you don't need to be a home brewer. Right. Uh, just go to picobrew.com. That's P-I-C-O brew.com, Pico Brew, in case I'm talking too fast. Uh, and learn all about the Pico still. If it's something for you, if you want to do little pilot batches, maybe, if you're a distiller and you kind of want to see how things work. If you want to distill your Christmas tree, right. um, like our friends <laughs> right. at St. George did, yeah. uh, you can do that at home with the Pico still, all in the privacy of your home. You don't need to risk blowing yourself up. Everything will be fine. Yeah. It does most of the work for you. You just push a button. <laughs> yeah. And then you just get to enjoy whatever comes out the other end. Exactly. In, in whatever timeline you desire. Right. Exactly. You know? Um, okay. Let's get to Marco. Marco, are you here? Yeah. Why, why, would, you blow up your, why would you blow up your distillery and, and you could, uh, just blow up your house instead with a pickup? That's right. I feel like, uh, I feel like um, you know, you can uh, have more insurance on your house. I don't know. Right. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, entry-level arson. Right. How pico is that still? It's uh, it's pretty tiny. It's um, they do uh, five liter batches, five liter batches, five liter wash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it yields a lot smaller than that. Yeah, they're very uh, they're they're definitely going for a, um, a a portion of the audience that just they want to do a, a, a lot of things in a tiny volume. Uh, which yeah, is working out well. Yeah, well, well, a ten to one man and double distilling—that is definitely a pico still. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of got started as as a. Uh, Making brewing equipment for people who live in apartments and don't have a lot of space, yep. and so they're just making this as an add-on to their, uh, I think their second generation yeah. equipment, maybe. Yeah, yeah. people love it. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. But let's talk about you, Marco. How's it going? Um, thanks again for for joining us and, and spending time here on the radio with us. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your uh, about your distillery, man, because you guys, you your family has been in the game for. Years, hundreds of years, decades. I mean, what's what's? Uh, give me a little bit, a bit of family history here before we start tasting some spirits. Yeah, you know, I should have waited until the sixth episode so we can go six on six. You know? <laughs> oh. Well, now it's ruined. Well, we can we can end the episode right now and then start again. <laughs> cut it off. Yeah, yeah. Just cut it off. Let's just do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, dude. Yeah. Well, hey. Um, we uh, thank you for having us on board today, too, Jay. Of course. I really appreciate uh, yeah. that. Yeah, man. Uh, we, uh, we've been distilling in my family now for 13 generations. Yeah. And uh, it's what my family has done and uh, created a living uh, for my family. And I'm carrying it on and expanding upon it and learning and uh, using what I've known and used what I learned and put it together and make something new. It's fun. That sounds fun. Thirteen gen. I mean, how many how many years is that? Right. I mean, I, I you know I don't know. Uh, yeah, since seventeen fifty one back in Serbia. <laughs> so a while. 
For, yeah, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah it was, was crazy. And where uh, where was that? Where did the first generation in, start distilling? In Serbia, in village near Hungary, in the Vojvodina Valley. Um, that's where my family was from. And uh, my dad's mom's side was uh, a big... Uh, farming family and my dad's dad's side was a big distilling family so they came together and um, had a pretty good gig going on over there sounds like it so they actually worked together one grew the grains that were used one raised hogs and the other one had a distillery winery and a restaurant oh, okay wow nice so yeah that kind of works <laughs> and, <laughs> and when uh, when did they move out uh, out this way um, my dad moved, uh, when he was 20, uh, so in the sixties, um, to Canada, Michigan, my mom's, my mom is from Michigan mm -hmm. and um, my dad got a big winemaking job, uh, in the central Valley of California in the seventies, early seventies. So they moved out to California. I was born in California. Okay. In 73. Awesome. And then it kind yeah. of just took off from there. Was uh, see the the stress about being the thirteenth generation of anything really of any success? Uh, I should say. I mean, you're always a third. You're always a generation of right. something, right? Right. Um, would be that you don't want to do it. Like, has anybody throughout the the timeline of the family gone? You know, I'd really just rather you know learn taxidermy or or, or, or something else. Or has it always kind of been distilling and winemaking? And this is the family business. And there's that that passion to carry it on well um in the situation that they were in in serbia and yugoslavia it was uh you know not easy times so you did what you mm -hmm. had to do and you did what you got to do um and fortunately enough for my family they made wines and spirits and you know uh made a living producing it and bottling yeah. it and buying more and, uh, you know, supplies and making more or growing their own or harvesting this or picking that and uh, making product and selling the wine and distilling the leaves and, and or the pumices or both and making liqueurs. So you do what you have to to survive. It wasn't uh, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't a choice. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I guess that is kind of the the uh, <laughs> the situational awareness. Right. In California, you know, you, oh, do, do you want to do it? But I guess, <laughs> yeah. you know, if if you want to, uh, it, you don't have a You don't have a choice. You you got to do it. Yeah. I'm going to go non-alcoholic now. My family's been making liquor for a long time. I'm going to switch it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not, you know, I'm not into it. Uh, so, so when you got bit by the bug uh, to do the distilling like there it was no question for you this is this is what you wanted this is what you wanted to do there was no choice right well being raised in a distilling family um learning what other distilleries were making and you weren't making those products like uh whiskey for mm -hmm. example yeah um and then working all the time uh, and uh, being under your dad's thumb all the time, being told what to do all the time, and just working it all the time, you know, sometimes you want to branch out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I needed to I needed to get paid, so I thought for a while <laughs> and wanted to be a physical therapist, like an international physical therapist, so I could travel and help people out. Yeah. But instead, uh, I stopped going to school and, and went to work. Um, and, um, started, uh, the first time 
the first thing I did, I was 10 on, and uh, I was inside the still that we use today and oh, uh, 35 years ago. And um, I was cleaning inside the still and that was my first job. And, uh, you know, more and more, it made sense after high school, especially in high school when I was brewing beer. And then learning that whiskey is distilled from grain, two-row malted barley. Hey, I just used two-row malted barley. I just fermented it. I just made beer. Yeah. Uh, but I had hops to it. Well, I guess I could distill that and make whiskey out of it, right? And <laughs> so I asked my dad that. He's like, can't do that. It's got hops in it. Nobody does it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. So he knew, and, uh, he knew you were making beer. 1999, and we got 22,000 gallons of Czech-style Pilsner from from a micro brewery and uh, started making whiskey out of that. And uh, I will do that forever. <laughs> <laughs> we have some of that, I think, right? Yeah, that was one of the samples well, we got. I'm excited. Uh, my wife, my wife, Jenny, sent you samples. I don't even know okay. what you got. So, uh, that, that, that is one. We have, but, uh, it's one of the uh, Pilsner-based whiskey blends. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, so your dad knew that you were brewing beer in high school. He didn't, he didn't care. It's family business kind of thing. He showed me how. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was willing yeah. to teach you how to make beer, just not make whiskey. Well, um, you know, <laughs> a distiller has to be a brewer or a winemaker or a tequila wine uh, fermenter or a sugar cane fermenter uh, to start with in the first place. Yeah. So he was just giving you and the you gotta, basics. You right? got to do it right, too. You got to make sure it's dry. <laughs> you got to, you can't have stuck fermentations. You know, that stuff needs to be dry. Yeah. And you need to make mm -hmm. the most alcohol you can uh, with that product uh, to a point where you're not, you know, degrading flavor, of course. But, you know, your, your, your fermentations have got to be run out dry and not stuck. Mm -hmm. So it was it was training really more than anything. I'm sure you thought it was fun. Did you get to to drink the product afterwards, or you know was he very oh, strict? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm yeah, sort of joking. My friends didn't mind. You know that's cool. I'm just making little five gallon batches of, of like Czech Pilsner and stuff, and it's tasty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was yeah. did you have much uh, flexibility with experimentation early on? I imagine that with thirteen well, yeah, generations. I Used uh, I used a favorite yeast of mine, uh, which uh, you know we used a lot of times in the wine industry because we have a winery as well, um, and you know it gave off really neat esters of uh, of spice and floral, mm. and it uh, when I used that in a beer uh, wash, um, it uh, in a uh, in a, a Czech Pilsner wash, yeah. Uh, Man, it really it really brought the spice out. It was really cool. Wow, nice. That sounds it was <laughs> That sounds good, man. Well, Warren, let's let's try something. We've been talking about it for a while. What do you have? So, so, I don't know what do we have. Warren? So we have uh, brandy right now. You got brandy? We do have we've got a 26 27 year brandy. Oh yeah, um, we start with that. That's great. Okay, we've got that. We've got uh, two vodkas. Uh, Is that the '89 brandy? Let me look. It says '89 on the front of it. '83. Uh, '83. Yeah, it's just your 35-year-old. Oh, uh, I did the math wrong. 28-year <laughs> barrel-aged full blanche grown in Yountville. Wow! <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, just typical, you know, the average, the average stuff, man. Yeah, oh. man, it, uh, it's perfect in the in this time of uh, 
day or night for right. everybody. Yeah, it was 27 years old in 2010. I ah. didn't do the math from to now. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So should we start with the brandy or should we start vodka? Does it guide us I'll through? Yeah. Brandy, man. That brandy's tasting really good right now. Okay. All right, we can do that. Which is the brandy, uh, Warren? Number three. Number three. All right. Uh, so tell us about this brandy here, Marco. Well, um, that was when uh, we just started uh, Charbet Distillery in 1983, and that was the first brandy that we distilled. Uh, I was 10, so I didn't, I wasn't part of it really, but I was, you know, switching valves and yeah. cleaning the spill, yeah. just being, you know, learning. Hey, someone uh, had to clean, man. Apprenticing. Yeah. There you go. With a, uh, a cognac, uh, a RH Prulo, uh cognac still that uh, we bought brand new and had shipped over. Is okay. that a, a manufacturer or a type of still? Yeah, both? the Prulo is the, well, the Robert Prulo even came over to check it out too. He installed, uh, he was a family that's been, it's a family in, in Pontiac that's been building uh, badass copper alambic Charente pot stills for like 350, 400 years now. Wow. Yeah. And so we got one of those and we installed it, or my dad, mom and dad installed it in, in uh, 83 up here in Ukiah, Mendocino County. So this was the batch that helped break it in, basically. Yes, sir. Exactly. With uh, with buying a, a, a still, um, any kind of equipment, but especially a still like that, you're you're importing it. It's a, it's a big expense. It's a whole thing. Um, in your mind, does it does it matter? Where it comes from? Does it matter uh, the, the 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 craftsmanship? I guess, or, or, or how is the craftsmanship different than you know any local place uh, possibly making uh, making a pot still like that? Or did, well, did they? I don't know. It's kind of uh, it's kind of like saying uh, you know if you want to run a, a dump truck at Indy, um, you know what's you know what's your output? What's your outcome going to be? I mean, <laughs> you might you might get around the track, right? No doubt. Hopefully. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, there's huge quality differences uh, from <laughs> where where you go to buy stills. Okay, the subtleties and and, and all that kind of stuff, craftsmanship and purity of copper, um, knowing how to do it, doing it for three hundred years, mm-hmm. um, you know, dialing it in for you know making it exactly what what it's supposed to be, and it's precise and it's just. Fabulous! Yeah, that's what the Prulo steels are. Are there? Okay. Is it known for making a particular kind of spirit, or can one still type do it all? Amazing! Or do it is designed. It is a uh, alambic Charente cognac still. It so, makes cognac. Okay, and that's it. So, supposedly, I mean, so, <laughs> supposedly. Okay, that sounds like you've done some experimentation, and uh, you know. uh, we distill uh, rum in it. Okay, mm-hmm. we distill whiskey in it. And so, what are and, the? And, and I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, what are the differences? If so, let's say um, a whiskey, putting a whiskey through a, a, a still designed for cognac. Well, well, whiskey. You know, whiskey is distilled from beer, and beer is kind of dirty compared to uh crisp red wine <laughs> of course know? yes of course and a little gassy right so you have to deal with the dirty and the gassy and there's there's systems that uh, work with you um to allow the the proper boil up and run versus uh, overload the energy and uh, shove all the CO2 and foam blow over 
uh, straight through the entire coil and shoot out the port ah. um, un- uncontrollably. No, ah, that, that okay. sounds like a bad thing. <laughs> You do it once or twice. You don't want to do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you have to learn how to work with that system to to make it produce a spirit that you want, which I guess sounds obvious, but I'm you know for me nothing is obvious. Alambique <laughs> stills that uh, you know, like Carlos and his brother used down in Mexico to uh, to make tequila. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a uh, coil immersion copper pot with a with a column uh, for rectification, uh, but not too much of a column, maybe like six, ten feet, depending on the size of it. Oh, yeah. um, and then it's, you know, with the copper, with the coil immersion, steam immersion coil and that still, or that style of alambique, um, that allows you to put fibrous material that's even more dirty oh. um, than, uh, than beer because it's got the shredded fibers of agave mm-hmm. uh, in it. And uh, it, it allows you to uh, distill it without just full-blown burning the shit out of the still every time. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good, uh, a good thing. Yeah. So no, it's, you know, um, it's never really a, a great time hanging out in the still scrubbing it. No. Well, but, hey, you're, you know, if I ever needed somebody, I would call you because yeah. you've been doing it since you were well, 10. So. Right. My well, son, Miles, he fits in the stills better. He just showed up. <laughs> he said he's about my size. Uh, when I when I was uh, learning to uh, get inside the steel, so and he would be a better candidate. And what what Sounds better right. does a ten year old have to do with their time, right? Than exactly. clean a steel. Yeah. So I've never. Yeah, I, took, I don't know if I've ever even had a brandy before. Oh my god! I, I don't. Know. I don't think I've ever had a thirty five year old brandy. That is probably more to the point. But um, what what should I be tasting? So I'm getting like some kind of cedar, and I'm getting these very deep dark kind of flavors um but uh you're, you're you're drinking some of this here marco what what are we tasting well you've got a when you know since it's been barrel aged for 28 years you would you would hope that there's some barrel flavors in there but not too many um and the the french oak offers like different brown cooking baking spices um vanillins like you know french you know smoky toasted flavors of oak yeah, um, but the body is big enough in that brandy to have held twenty-eight years of barrel aging and the flavor of the brandy together, so that it doesn't just fall right apart. It's got a finish that lasts for a long time. For me, tasting spirits and drinking spirits is more about the finish and the flavor profile. Not really picking out nuances of you know third degree toasted uh, caramel and stuff. <laughs> like that, but, you know. Just like, does it have fruit and floral and spice? Yeah, it does. You can go deeper in those, but does it have a full body? Is it, or is it unbalanced? Is it too heady? Does it have too many tails in it? Is it oily? Um, and then does it finish just last for a long time or does it drop off like a rock because it was distilled with no body? So no. is the a lot of the body come from the spirit itself or is that Absolutely. concentration? Oh, okay. So it's that's Absolutely. there from the beginning. Yeah, I didn't use the, we didn't use the barrel for for body development. Um, you know that that uh, what uh, created that was time in the barrel and the oxidation and the three percent loss per barrel per year uh, for twenty eight years. Um, and uh, you know that it just uh, kind of honed it, and uh, it's tasting really good right now. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's delicious. And and so. You guys aren't topping the barrels off 
at all. Once it sealed, once it was sealed, uh, twenty seven years plus ago, it you didn't I open do. it until. Um, I do on products like that. You know, we'll top them like every five years. Oh, okay. oh wow! Okay. Do you, yeah, do you, is a, that with a, you know? It's a style. It's a style of aging that is not normal, uh, but uh, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, it works really well too. Is that with a fresh uh, batch of brandy distillate, or is that? Do you have some of the yeah. original? No, I'm consolidating lots. Oh, okay. So just yeah, yeah, consolidating multiple barrels to just end up with one full one. Then yeah, you okay. take one that you take one off the top rack, you know, and then yeah. you just siphon into all the other barrels below it, and then it usually you you do it when you know you're going to have a full barrel to to suck out and uh, top off the rest of that lot, and then then you break that barrel down or or fill it with another run. Okay, <laughs> so you do that about every five years. On long term, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Uh, on uh, shorter term uh, barrel aging programs, we'll do it like every two years. And then, how how long is kind of the end goal for if you're doing it every two years? Like, how old would well, the spirit be when you'd release you know, it? I like using barrels. Uh, you know, not. I want. I'm tired of over oaked products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to taste what's in the barrel. And not eat staves. You know, we're not having a stave right now. <laughs> you don't want splinters in your teeth? No. No, no. Well, I think no. this I think this does that too. You you definitely get a sense of the of the, the spirit, you get a sense of the wood, but it's not overdone. And I agree with you, man, especially on the beer side. Um, but even the spirit side too, there's there's a lot of um, well, if a little oak is good, then a ton is gonna be better. <laughs> right. And that's rarely yeah. if ever the and, case. Yeah. And then you get into into products, spirits that mandate that you put your product in at a very low proof, and in, for barrel aging purposes, one twenty five proof, and it's got to be in a brand new uh, oak barrel. You know, it's just like, man. <laughs> are, are there that kind of rules with uh, brandy? Uh, no, but with bourbon there is. Oh right, yeah. So brandy is kind of free game then, compared to bourbon. Um, I'd have to take a look at the regs. It's been such a long time. I think, uh, yeah, with brandy, you got to do it two years as well, but it doesn't have to be brand new barrel. Hmm. And, and uh, as far as proof, you're you're allowed to f- do with it with brandy. You want. You go a lot higher. Okay. You go at one forty. Wow. There you go. Well, now we're and talking more. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll take a barrel that someone else has used. Like a good friend of mine has a winery. <laughs> And uh, he's done with the barrel because, you know, wine is 13% alcohol. It's mostly mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he runs it like five times, five vintages through that barrel. And then it's considered uh, spent, you know, mm-hmm. in the wine industry. But um, some of those products, I don't know, did you get a bottle of S or R5 whiskey? Uh, let me look. Uh, this one is release three double alembic pilsner yeah it's the pilsner 1999 pilsner whiskey release three that's a different story (laughs) um but the r5 and the stout uh that uh we've been distilling uh racer 5 ipa from bear public brewery oh that's cool Um, I uh, distill that. I get a tanker of it, 
and I put in used French oak that had Chardonnay in it, and it at 140 proof, there's plenty of color and flavor left in that barrel Jeez. for me. So just yeah. going in at a higher proof, do you get a better? Are you getting? Yeah. Are you extracting flavors that the lower proof, like a 13 percent wine, is leaving behind? Well, you're doing you're, you're doing uh, you're doing 70 percent ethanol extractions and 30 percent water extractions versus 70 percent water extractions and 30 percent alcohol extractions. So just way alcohol more. Alcohol extracts different things out of barrels than water. Water extracts different colors and flavors and tannins. Uh, alcohol extracts different spices and tannins and flavors and colors. Oh, okay. uh, so the, the higher the proof, from in my mind, the better the barrel aging. Got it. Because it changes the ratio of what you're pulling out. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It has a huge flavor impact on uh, on the finished spirit. Uh, let's move on. Let's let's grab another spirit. What should we uh, What should we have next, Marco? Whatever you want, man. All right. Uh, in front of you. Well, we were talking about <laughs> yeah. we were talking about the pilsner. Let's do the pilsner. Oh, you should try that pilsner, dude. There's a, I have like ten cases left in the world. Really? Oh my god. Yeah, it's just nineteen years old, or yeah, nineteen <laughs> years old. Jeez. And, uh, <laughs> you know we we double aged it, uh, which means uh, we distilled pilsner in '99, put it into brand new char three barrels. Uh, American oak for five years. Five years? No. Uh, eight years. In- and and uh, took it out of the out of the barrel. Well, it's only six years. It was six yeah. years in the barrel, and then we put it into stainless tanks and held it for another eight years. Yeah. So now it's fourteen years old. Jeez. And then we bottled it, full barrel strength, uncut, unfiltered. And what that double aging does is. It allows a whiskey that's been distilled, barrel-aged for six years, extracted all the color and flavor out of the barrel that it was going to, and then we let it sit in stainless to let it integrate that flavor and color and body to the body and flavor of the whiskey. And then, you know, it's just a a, a luxury to be able to do that. Because you just... Needed all the flavors to mellow, not adding any more for just eight years. Yeah, we just let it chill out for eight years <laughs> in stainless. And so there's no evaporation loss, nothing like that, right? It's a sealed very, mi- very minimal in stainless. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I tell you, Marco, this it literally blew. I have a hat on because otherwise <laughs> my brains would, would be all over the back of the wall. You blew my mind. This, this yeah, buddy. It, the, the hop character and flavor yeah. in this is. Mm-hmm. It's b- almost like like wort, you know what I mean? Like unfermented beer, um, and then maybe like kind of that that aged hops that um, that barley wine can kind of get, but not not with the malt, but just that kind of uh, in in a good way oxidized hops. Yeah, um, but they're they're still there. They're prominent, and they're this tastes like a fresh wort sample from the fermenter. It's a trip. I'll party yeah. with that stuff and then go to sleep. And then the next day, I just see my rocks glass, you know, sitting sitting on the counter. You know, it's all diluted out. <laughs> I go, I go over to it like, oh man, this is whiskey three right here. And I try it, and then it tastes like a steam beer. It's a trip. Oh, I, oh yeah. yeah, for sure. To to me, jeez, it, it it's reminds me of if you barrel aged an ice box. Like, okay, so you uh, get like a. a rich like 
not wordy, but like deep malt character, but it's obviously been barrel aged. Yeah. So you get some of the oak tannin and at 60% alcohol, you iced it real hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I think it's 132 proof, actually. So, yeah, that's oh, what it 132, said on the yeah. yeah. So this is barrel. Str- so you would recommend cutting this, right? You wouldn't just sit here with a snifter and oh, just yeah. pound just this. Drink it. Just, oh, drink, yeah. just drink it. You don't, you don't even care. Yeah, this is stuff where you're not going to be <laughs> slamming like half a bottle. You know, this is like you're going you know, to spend some time and hang out. You're Got buddies around, and uh, you know you, you want to have some of it, and then try something else and move on. Because yeah, you know it's a trophy, right? Yeah, yeah. This, and and that's that's the sense that I got out of the brandy too. But this, oh uh, yeah, especially yeah. from the beer side, like I, I don't know, this is a whole different animal for me, and that's uh, very exciting. It, it excites me when I can right have on. something that I've never had before. And and well, welcome. Welcome to the world of Charbet. <laughs> Thanks, man. One, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've liked with the last two is there's a really bright oak character. It's not yes. charred. It's not blackened. Right. And it's not also real tannin heavy. You said you don't want to over oak it, but it's a bright flavor and it's there. You, you can't miss it. And it's working with everything, but it's not tannin heavy. Right. It's not char, like charcoal heavy. It's just working oh, really yeah. well. well you, are you, I mean, do you taste a lot of barrel-aged beers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get them through the show pretty yeah. regularly. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, what alcohol is that beer that that is barrel-aged? 8%? 8 percent? Eight. They vary. Ten to twelve, yeah. maybe is the highest okay, kind of. Let's just, let's just say it's fifteen percent alcohol in okay. beer. Yeah. Uh, you're doing an eighty-five percent water extraction of that barrel because 85% of that 15% alcohol beer is water. Mm-hmm. So the water is removing, you know, uh, 85% of the elk of the flavor and color extraction that that beer will be able to do is water extractions, mm-hmm. big, heavy molecules. Yeah. You know, okay. Big tannins. Not so, the delicate top note spices. So you're saying beers can't ever do that, essentially, at least to this right. level. There's, you know, yeah. it's physically impossible because yeah. with 70% alcohol, whiskey, full barrel strength, then you're only only doing 30% of that solution is water. Right. 70% of it's alcohol. Jeez. Now you're doing alcohol extraction yeah. and top notes and getting deeper into the wood, removing lanolins, re- removing all these different things, components and colors from the toasting or char that, you know, with alcohol that you can't get with water. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It does. I, I wish like- we could do it in beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. Well, you know, look at, you know, look, you know, get a, get a, uh, get a 3% beer and then a uh, 12% beer. And barrel age them in the exact same uh, style uh, barrel for the exact same amount of time, mm-hmm. and uh, and see which one has more flavors. Oh yeah, there you, you go. Know, uh, let's one. let's move on. Let's uh, try something else. Warren, you pick since Marco doesn't care. Um, <laughs> he just he's he's here to make well, sure that we get enjoyed. Well, I guess let's uh, stick with the brown and just go to the rum next. Okay. Oh, let's wow. go to the rum. rum. Tell me about this rum here, Marco. Well, I'm pretty sad. Um, they shut down uh, commercial production of sugarcane on Maui 
for various reasons and the cnh factory doesn't uh is not is not uh making sugarcane syrup from maui sugarcane anymore oh, and that's right. uh, there's a difference between molasses c and sugarcane syrup um it's kind of the other side of the spectrum okay. of flavor and if you want to showcase where your cane grew then you use the sugarcane syrup because they harvest the cane mm-hmm. they take it to they take it to the the refinery in uh kihei they dejuice it now it's agricole which means cane juice mm-hmm. yeah and they take that juice and they flash dehydrate it under a vacuum they pull the water out at a low boiling point so you don't start burning the sugar yeah you just pull the water out with a back vacuum and what's left is this 75 brick thick syrup uh maple syrup consistency sugar cane syrup okay and it shows off the concentrated terroir actually and flavor of that maui cane and we used that and we fermented it and uh then we distilled it and turned it into rum and yeah it's fantastic wow and the the other side of that would be the molasses which is all the the burnt stuff off of making sugar i mean i'm dumbing it down but is that pretty yeah so you have you have sugarcane syrup then you heat that up white crystal sugar falls out of solution and then you add you you heat it up more brown sugar falls out of solution then you heat it up higher molasses a and then you add gypsum so it doesn't burn and then uh molasses b is a little bit higher temp and then molasses c is the highest temp burn oh sugar cane sugar cane product of the sugar extraction process and and, and that's, that's what of, is commonly what used, used, in rum? used to make rum oh, okay and so if they're not doing it in maui anymore what are you guys doing for rum production um well it's a good question i haven't made any rum uh lately um i gotta figure it out but uh, there's other cool islands that are still doing sugarcane that i can that i can utilize because i need like a tanker a hot liquid tanker truck of it to make a to make a run mm. um so i might just have to go start a distillery on the islands myself <laughs> oh bummer yeah. that's a vacation distillery it sounds t- <laughs> yeah, it's only open like four months well, out of the year and you know could I get funding for that? I don't know. Probably. No. I'm sure if, if, you know, the rest of the time it wasn't uh, wasn't operating, you know, it would just be uh, travel. You right. Know? It's an well, Airbnb. Airbnb. It's distillery. Airbnb, and then, but you only only let people stay there who know how to run a distillery. <laughs> so they're working for you. It's a whole thing. Yeah. I got a whole, we'll go on Shark Tank. It'll be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, have the, I have the property picked out, and, um, you know, I think it would be really cool. Because I want to take my kids and family somewhere cool. Yeah. And Hawaii for us is like a five-hour flight. That's like the same as going to New York. Uh, and, jeez, uh, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's shorter than getting to Tahoe. Right. You know? That's absolutely uh, true. It's uh, <laughs> so, closer than Disneyland, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. This last time when we went to Disneyland, we uh, yeah, I agree. 
<laughs> we just did that. Uh, yeah, flight canceled after three hours waiting in the airport to get oh, to Disney. Oh, no. Stinger with a six-year-old and a one-year-old, let me tell you. I bet, man. I bet. Man, this rum is delicious. It's buttery smooth. Yeah. Um, but yeah. still, but it, has it a... Just totally, it just totally makes sense to God. use a really cool French oak barrel uh, to uh, barrel age that in. And one day when it was just tasting just ridiculously good, like, just pull this out and uh let's uh put it in stainless and uh let's get ready to bottle it and we'll bottle it uncut unfiltered full barrel strength like 137 proof wow that's what this is right now yeah whoa it does not taste like that no it doesn't but i think you're a maniac for doing that marco Uh, you're welcome yeah the reason it doesn't taste like that is because we use a fantastic still we make Mm -hmm. fantastic wine from amazing sugar cane uh, and then you make cuts so that it's balanced and it's got tons of body to handle all that heat. And then you can yeah. add the fl- and then you can add the flavor profile of the barrel aging into that body without over oaking it, of course, and mm-hmm. really make a really balanced, super flavorful rum. Yeah, the the the, the butter and the sweet molasses are just more. I'm new to rum. I maybe had it probably fewer than a dozen rums. Yeah, but oh, right on. The, the intensity of the the like butterscotch molasses flavors, and then the the oak is just kind of peeking through there. It's just the most interesting rum I've had. I didn't want to even sell it, you know. Um, I can understand that, tasting this. We bottled like 300 cases. I'm like, fuck it. We are not selling this in my life. (laughs) Some of my family. I got some family pressure. Yeah. Okay, okay, fine. We're going to sell 120 cases of it. That's it. There you go. Um, Private stock. Yeah, I sell it with my buddy, JP, in Switzerland. And then we sell it in the United States. uh, And that's it. And then the rest is for me. And my friends. So, so what else is in the private stock after 13 years of family <laughs> distilling? 35 years of family distilling? Yeah. Or I guess, yeah. Everything. <laughs> A little bit of everything? Yeah. More my, importantly. My palettes of library or collections are pretty rad, I think. <laughs> More importantly, Warren, how does it feel the next day after partying with Marco? Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> it is amazing what happens uh, when you drink fantastic spirits and don't drink a ton of, uh, you know, stupid, overly sweet cocktails and stuff. Yeah. And just have things with splashes and dashes like all of our products uh, yeah. on the rocks. Drink some water once in a while, too. But that's just standard. Doesn't matter what brand you, or product you're trying. Right. Yeah. Partying with. But if you do that the next day, you're like, holy shit. Uh, Wow, um, I wasn't an asshole, was I? <laughs> <laughs> would, with, with, with how sweet this rum tastes, would you have a nasty hangover if, like, you just stuck to this? No, all night? not this no? rum. Okay. Man, it's just no, persweaved. I've, I've tested it and tested it. It's just so clean. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to get know. hung over on okay. it, but I can't. Yeah. I mean, and and you know, like Warren, I'm just getting in rum too, and I'm like, God, I I I want to just put a little lime and a little sugar, but I there you go. Then, but then I I don't think I do because this rum you know, is yeah. so complex. I don't I don't know if that would benefit it. You know what I mean? Get a big ass cube of ice, you know, like mm-hmm. Lost Ice or Fancy Glass Ice or Great Ice or whatever ice. Yeah. And uh, let it dilute slowly for the next twenty five minutes, and it just keeps evolving. Oh sure, yeah. Evolving. 
you know what I like about you, Marco? You, you you strike me as a guy who's super steeped in tradition, but you don't let any of that hold you back from doing what you want to do. No, no. I, I mean, appreciate you, that. You, you can use, you can, uh, I mean, pour it with Coke, you know, if you want. Yeah. So you would you wouldn't flip out if someone threw it in a tiki drink with a bunch of pineapple juice <laughs> and, and lit it and... on fire. <laughs> oh my god, that would be awesome. <laughs> I think we got to do that. Um, all right, let's move it's on. It's a great modifier in a cocktail because it's so intense yeah. at, at oh, 135 yeah. proof. You don't need much to really accent a cocktail. So using like half an ounce in a non-tiki drink would just make it explode with like tropical flavor it's a really yeah. it's a trip yeah i can see using that instead of like not a hundred percent replacement but like instead of like a little bit of simple syrup or something yeah oh yeah there you go that would, like, <laughs> that would work out just fine <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> like a long island simple syrup <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's um yeah, let's let's go to one of the clear ones here warren we yeah. want to just go on the clear so we've end? got uh yeah the the last three we've got we've got uh your vodka and then we have the meyer lemon version and then last yeah. we've i've been saving the black walnut liqueur yeah oh. i think let's save that let's right. let's hit the vodka real fast you know you should have, you should try the black walnut liqueur right now oh, oh okay and then and then do the clear vodka and then do the citrus okay okay let's do that black walnut liqueur Tell, yeah. tell me yeah. a little bit about this here, Marco. That's uh, that product. My dad taught me wow. how to extract color and flavor from fruits or nuts um, that we've been making since the eight, early eighties. Okay, and uh, it's a it's a it's a quite the process to uh, extract all the colors and flavors of black walnuts so and carpathians. And are, are you? How are you processing the walnuts? You're not just picking them off off the ground and throwing them in, I imagine. <laughs> no, um, that was a lot smaller back then in the early 80s, so I could climb trees and pick the walnuts like a monkey. <laughs> and then you just do that for days, and it's always like the hottest day of the year out. And you're like, oh, my God, but uh, it works. Yeah, and your hands were really stained, and then it takes a long time—like sometimes two years—for us to make our extract out of black walnuts, and then we integrate that into Pinot Noir Eau de Vie, which is brandy distilled from Pinot Noir grapes, and then uh, in aged in stainless, so it's clear. And then we add the black walnut extract, add sugar, and make a liqueur out of it. Hmm. Wow! So it takes two years to extract all the flavors from the, the walnuts. You could do it for less time, you know, but... But why would you want to? <laughs> when you've got two years. <laughs> right. Worked out better. Yeah, you know, everyone's got two years to fuck around with something and <laughs> just not, you know, come to fruition for three years. Sure. I mean, hey, we did that starting uh, the Bring Network, so it's, you know... <laughs> yeah. It, it happens, man. Uh, you know, it's it's just funny, man. I had, a um, like, a black walnut tree uh, in front of a, a house I, I, you know, lived in for, like, 10 years or whatever mm-hmm. with my dad. It smells just like it. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's that sensory. It's bringing me back to to standing at the driveway waiting for my dad to pick me up, and the, the right walnuts on. had fallen down, and the meat had come off, and mm-hmm. they're kind of been smashed, so it's... They've decayed a little bit. I don't want to say rotting because it doesn't smell like rotting flesh. Oxidized. There you Oxidized. go. Yes, thank you. And uh, it's just it's taking me right back to these moments. This yeah. is uh, it's a real it's a it's a trip. The black walnut uh, does that. Uh, it's got a strong olfactory blast back. Yeah, I mean, feature yeah. to it. You know, 
Yeah. Those people are like, it reminds me of their grandparents' house or something, or you know, being a kid, you know, being in Walnut Wars and stuff. <laughs> Walnut Wars, hell yeah. <laughs> You're right. Oh, yeah. Giving your friends black eyes. Yeah, and it's like, um, <clears throat> I don't know, like an umami, but like an umami anise kind of a thing. Mm. It, it's, this is a, if you guys find some of this, you got to buy it and smell it. It just smell. I haven't tasted it yet. I'm. I'm still. Oh, really? You haven't even tasted it yet? No, I'm. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly like um, absorbed right. by the the aroma right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here we go. We're gonna taste it right now. I won't ruin it for you, it's but I've already tasted and it. It's sweet, and it doesn't make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth. You know, it's. I like it that way. I like clean, but pure. Yeah. Right. No, it's definitely not sticky at all. It's um. It's almost drying at the end, like the, the tannins, I guess, from the walnuts. Yeah, whatever, yeah, like the chalky yeah. walnut finish. Yeah. You added just enough sugar back to where it just is neutralized. Yeah. It's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. This is, this is, this is uh, again, very unique. So how would I use this, like, in, in, in the real world? Um, double espresso. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah. I think Warren and I are going to have to arm wrestle Where's the this. espresso machine? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I got one right here for you. <laughs> yeah. On our way. Yeah, we'll be there. Uh, just really just a little shot of this in a double espresso. Oh, man. Sure. Or, you know, or sure. a tulip stemware, you know, that like a chocolate raspberry tart or just something, you yeah, know. Something. Okay. Some, some acidic fruit dessert pairing type yeah. situation yeah uh, i also have friends that put it into uh, a vinaigrette and chop up walnuts with a spinach salad well, i could oh, yeah. i could swing that too yeah works really well ice cream maybe uh, like over vanilla oh, ice cream yeah. yeah vanilla ice cream uh milkshake just pour it in milkshake at the end of the mix uh Man. I'm sure you've tested out all of these ideas. <laughs> he has oh, a book coming out. <laughs> well, you have to. We've been making it for like since I don't know, 30, since eighty. What was the first batch of Black Wall? I think it was like eighty-five. Yeah, thirty years. And and how? I mean, and obviously people dig it because you, you know. You, well, <clears throat> I don't want to say obviously because I, I again I get the sense from you that you're just going to make whatever you want and then. You'll just drink it anyway. It doesn't it doesn't matter if it if if it's popular or if it sells or people demand it. You're you're still going to make it because you like it. Uh, well, you know, I, mean, I passed the flag of uh, and the torch of not drinking everything that I make. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we make more than I can drink now. Yeah, which is good. It's a now, good thing. Well, yeah, I'm so I'm so lucky. Probably. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I mean, for for like this product, I guess where I'm going with this is is. What, what's the reaction to people? I mean, are people asking you for this? Because I've never heard of this. It's something that is totally, yeah. it's weird. out when they try it. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this would freak me out. Exactly right. Yeah. But people Oh, yeah. I hope you're not allergic like to black walls. You're <laughs> going to blow up. I, mean, I didn't know that there were, I thought it was just a creative Uh-oh. name. I didn't know there were. Uh, yeah. But I think that's cool that people are actually coming for this product. Is it? Yeah. Is it a... a I guess not a tough sell once you if you can get someone to taste it. It's a tough but sell for a it's blind. Expensive to, it's expensive to make, mm-hmm. and you know since we're a super small family-owned and operated distillery that can't sell our own product retail direct, uh, we can't really you know we can't do that. So yeah. we have to go through distributors and stores and restaurants and bars and you know and not uh-huh. you know not be able to have people come to the distillery try and buy it. That's a whole other. Uh, Oh really? So yeah. you, don't, you don't have a tasting room? No, it's a long story. Painful in California. <laughs> oh, okay. California laws. But, uh, 
now there's a law. Now there's a bill or a a license you can get called a a Type 74 craft distiller's license. But uh, we don't qualify anymore. You're making too much? Are you too big? Is that why? Yeah, that's the – I mean, I'm like, dude, we're the first three craft distillers here (laughs) in the United States. And what are you telling me? I'm not a craft distiller because I import tequila tapatio, which is a fabulous tequila, (laughs) and I get to sell it across the United States and, you know, try and survive and make money because I can't sell my own product retail direct because it's illegal in California. Wow. Oh, and yeah, so you can't get grandfathered in for being smaller when before you could actually have done it. No, that seems wow. uh, well. That seems very Californian. I think. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's nutty, there's places. Man. There's places like the state of Utah. You could ski to a distillery, try their product, buy it, put it in your backpack, and ski the hell down a hill. <laughs> that's awesome! Wow. The day that Me, the days we're, we're I get to go. Oh, I, you can try it when you come to the distillery. Yeah. Like, oh, you like that? Well, I can't sell it to you. You got to go to a store and buy it. Isn't that great? Wow, it, it's a weird moment in 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 my personal history when the liquor laws in Utah are less strict <laughs> yeah. than they are here. Yeah, that's it's bizarre. Insane. Yeah. Um, okay. Vodka Where are time. you guys? Where are you guys? We're in the, we're in San Francisco Bay Area. We're uh, in a town oh. called Concord. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, right on. East Bay. Yeah. We're it's just a- like two hours uh, up 101 from San Francisco. Oh, oh. nice. Yeah, we're In about... Okay. okay, yeah, we're not. We're a couple hours away from you, I think. So that if we showed up at your house, say, <laughs> two and a half hours from now... <laughs> well, uh, I'm actually going to go back to the still, because i got to fire it up, because I have a whole other run to do. I've got um, a ton of runs to do, so I'll be Oh, wow. So you'll be up. <laughs> Perfect. So <laughs> right over... Uh, let's let's so, uh, try this vodka. So here, the vodka. So oh, so the vodka. Yeah, what's the story behind this vodka? I wanted to make vodka, uh, but being in a more of a European distilling arena, yeah, uh, my dad didn't want to make vodka because it didn't have flavor, and my dad's an artist of flavor, and I said, mm-hmm. well, you know, okay, um, you know we're. Fortunately, we're making this Meyer lemon extract and blood orange extract, and uh, we're going to make Meyer lemon limoncello, which would be great. Oh, yeah. You know, how many people are drinking liqueurs? Nobody is. This is in the (laughs) 90s. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'm looking at the wall uh, back bar at this killer restaurant in Neff Valley, and I'm looking like, well, there's absolute citron and stoli orange are the flavored vodkas, and kettle one is the ultra premium vodka. Like, all right, you don't want to make you don't want to make clear vodka, and then let's make blood orange flavored vodka and Meyer lemon flavored vodka, yeah. and then you can't see our vodka doesn't have flavor in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you went around you went a, you went around it kind of backwards, I guess. You went for the you went for the flavored backwards, vodka yeah. first, yeah, and then you know it blew up. I was twenty five. I was launching this across the United States. I had five flavored vodkas made from fresh picked fruit, made in season. So the Meyer lemons are picked in Christmas time. The blood oranges are ripe in January. The rhubarb grapefruit are ripe in February, and so we make extracts. You know when the fruit comes in, when it's ripe off the trees. Yeah. And then uh, integrate that into vodka, which is corn and rye, mostly corn, mm-hmm. and uh, make fresh picked fruit flavored vodka. And uh, it was going really well all over the place in New York, California. And uh, 
in Oklahoma. And I got back, I was in Oklahoma and Wayne Hurst, he's this cool dude that used to be with us in the, uh, in the alcohol industry. He was a great, uh, a great distributor. But he's like, Marco, I know you got some flavor vodka. That's the story. You're making flavor vodka. <laughs> you are drinking flavor vodka shit right now. You got to make some trade vodka. I'm like, well, Wayne, you know, I totally want to, but I can't. My dad says I can't make it. He's like, oh, God damn it. I'm like, I know. It's, it's fucked up. So <laughs> I get back. My dad, you know, let's just, our vodka, our clear vodka is fabulous too. You know, and look what's, look what's out there. It's kettle one. It's like the, you know, ultra premium vodka in the world right now. And uh, let's let's bottle five hundred cases and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and uh, it got voted the third best spirit in the world by Paul Picault in the top one hundred list of 03. and then in 04, again in the top one hundred list of spirits in the world. This time, number six. Uh, and I was like, God damn, we could have been selling this for like five years <laughs> oh. before, before Belvedere, before Kettle, uh, before, I'm excuse me, before oh, yeah. Hanger One, before Grey Goose, you know, before Chopin, uh, and uh, but whatever, we jumped in and yeah. it's going well. And you were in this vodka, the clear vodka. Sometimes uh, I won't drink it for like two months or something. I get come back to it like, oh my god, this this vodka has so much body. It really does. Yeah, and it's, and, and it's extreme and it's completely dry. There's no nothing in it, and yeah. uh, it's just got huge body and super clean, and it's very easy to drink. And this is all made with the same still. The vodka is the only product in my distillery that I don't produce myself because I don't distill myself because uh, my still is only it only produces 140 proof. It's a Chardonnay cognac still. It's not okay. designed for high proof ethanol distillation okay. like a, a tall column still. So I have my vodka sourced. I have it custom distilled for me at a larger facility. I bring it to my distillery. And then I work it from there. Okay. 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 That's awesome. So, so you yeah. you have the vodka anyway. You're making the uh, the uh, the flavored vodkas. Let's try the um, the Meyer. Was it the Meyer lemon? Yes, Meyer lemon. Meyer lemon. Let's try the Meyer yeah. lemon. It's great in a Bloody Mary. It's great in a lemon drop. It's great on the rocks with soda water, ginger ale, ginger beer. Oh yeah, it smells amazing. Yeah, it smells like honestly, you you skin a lemon. Right, club uh, soda. And yeah, you I, get Tom ton, I get tons of Meyer lemons, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's great. What goes? I, use, I shred the whole fruit skins and all. Uh, it takes a while to extract all the colors and flavors, but at the end, I collect the acidity, the juice, the sweetness, the pulp, the pith, the bitters. You know the natural bitters that are right in the skins. Uh, you know, and yeah. and all the flavors of the whole fruit. It's not you do everything. It's not like tang, right? <laughs> right. It's not. It, and it's look, people. It's definitely not one dimensional. No, it isn't. It, no. It, 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 You're tasting all the parts of the lemon. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's is it really honestly incredible? Is is that what goes into making an extract? You just shred the fruit into a bunch of pieces and then just let it soak in the vodka for well a uh, of time. it's a set technology and um like i said learning how to extract colors and flavors out of black walnuts i had learned if you can pull color and flavor out of black walnut <laughs> uh you can go you can go to town and, and pull the colors and flavors out of my lemons and yeah. oranges and ruby sure and is this filtered afterwards or how, why is there not pulp or something floating in my 
in my glass right now? Um, I do filter it. I use like a wine style filter to remove solids from, you know, fermentation, but this isn't fermentation. This is solids from extraction. Right. Um, You know, I just keep it as, as plain as possible and uh, make it as pure as possible because there's no dyes or stabilizers or additives or preservatives or PVPPT or cold stabilize or anything. Stuff will fall out of solution out of my vodka through time. Okay. Um, You know. It's definitely um, it's, it's clear and it's got a little a slight yellow hue. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the citrus oils, you know. God, it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah, man. Hey, you just you drinking at room temp, right? Yep. Yes, room temp, uncut, just hanging out. There you go. He's going yeah. to Karen glasses. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's a trip. Yeah, I could see, like you said, just adding some club soda and you, you're done. Yeah, if or you, ginger if, beer. Yeah, ginger beer too. Yeah, I think it'd be great. I'm going to do that when I get yeah. home, Warren. Yeah. But I'll probably give this one to you. Yeah. you my <laughs> wife and I, um, we were the um, the vodka vodka couple on a, a Holland America cruise through uh, the Caribbean this one time. They oh, had geez. us on. <laughs> How'd that and, go? Uh, oh, my God. It was such a good time. But we ran out of uh, our – we make Tahitian vanilla bean rum. I don't know if you got a sample of that. No. But, uh we ran out and we're having this go away sail off party, you know, from one Harbor. I forget what country we were in, but <laughs> we ran out of rum and we're making pina coladas. And I'm like, dude, these, use our Meyer lemon vodka and a pina colada for a rum substitute. And it is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. With no rum. I could see that. I want to try yeah. that too. I need to get me <laughs> some of this. Try all, try it and everything. Yeah. Margo, yeah. where can we learn more about where to buy your delicious spirits, my friend? Um, Charbet.com. Charbet.com. Yeah, and, you know, we'll, right. we'll direct you as best we can. You know, we have a list of accounts, um, you know, in the United States. And, so, and uh, Are yeah. you available in all 50 states? No, okay. uh, I'd say like 30, 32 states. Okay. All right. We're not in, we're not in the Dakotas. Uh and a couple of Midwest that are a real challenge to work with. Um, some bet. are, you know, state-run states, and those are a total pain in the ass. Okay. <laughs> care about us. And, and um, not in Utah out of spite? Um, <laughs> I don't know if we're in Utah or not right now. I'm just so jealous of them. Right. You know, those yeah, doctors. for sure. They can do uh, whatever they want. Yeah. They get to ski to yeah. uh, ski to good looker. Yeah. Well, oh, Mark, hey, let's just start a distillery, and you know, people can ski into our place, and they can sell. They can, we can sell them bottles. They can ski the hell out. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. No parking lot. Yeah. I just heard. I just heard they're going to do that in uh, in Southern California. That uh, Big Bear. I heard there's no. a little micro distillery popping up in Big Bear Jeez. in the village. Mike, oh, oh wow. you lucky little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good, yeah. man. That'd be, uh, n- n- what you need to do is do it offshore in Hawaii so people can surf in, get a bottle. Oh, surf know, in, surf whatever. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, Jason, I do have the property uh, picked out. I just need funding for oh, it. Oh, man. Um, and, well, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll get it, man, because I love Hawaii and I love your spirits. And if I could do both at the same time, um, you know, I'd be there. How much fun would that be? I mean, That'd be great. It'd be a good time, for sure. Yeah. Oh, Tell man. me when to book a flight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marco. I'm going to let you go, man. Thank you very much. Is that it? Yeah, that's yeah. it, man. I appreciate you uh, uh, sending the stuff in and, and, and taking the time to, to talk to us about it. It was, a, it was a good time. Yeah, thank you so much. 
It's my pleasure. Uh, you guys, good luck with your show. Yeah, uh, thanks. You're off, you're off to the races. Next, yep. next time I'm up in Ukiah, I might, I might knock on your door for sure. Okay, well, yeah, man, give me a call, and I'd uh, love to show you around. It'd be fun. That'd be cool. Thanks, Marco. I appreciate it, man. All right, you guys have a Thank good one. All right, you too. That's Marco from Charbet Distilling. Uh, wow. Good stuff, man. It, good yeah. stuff. The complexity of everything was blowing my mind. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I can't... Uh, I don't know, man. That um, that Pilsner yeah. distillate, I still... I'm still thinking about it. We're like four <laughs> spirits away. Right. And four spirits beyond that. Yeah. You, you can tell that they've learned a few things over the last... <laughs> yeah. 30 something years. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, if you're learning, if you're learning, if you're looking to learn stuff, Warren, and it won't yes. take you a couple hundred years to figure it out, if you want to learn more about the world of craft spirits and possibly even open your own distillery, then you need to check out American Distilling Institute's 2018 Craft Spirits Conference, happening March 26th through the 28th up in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Head over to distilling.com and click on the banner for the conference for more information. There's a gin summit they got going on. Yeah. Throughout the, uh, the the weekend, there's like satellite things. So Gin right. Summit's one of them. A brandy workshop. Of course, there's a whiskey workshop. There's a rum, a vodka workshop. You name it, you can learn it here. And when we say workshop, these are hands-on classes at actual distilleries. They're not you're not sitting in a room for hours right. where you get a packet and you use a PowerPoint. <laughs> and you're just going through the thing. Right. You're at Distiller. I know um, there's classes held at Edgefield. Uh, McMinimum's at Edgefield there. They have a yeah. distillery. Um, Three-day whiskey class three on day, site uh, at Edgefield. And if you've never been to Edgefield, stay at Edgefield. <laughs> it is, they have a nine-hole par three golf course. Yeah. It's a beautiful campus. I think I think if you sign up for that course, it includes your room and board oh, at Edgefield. Oh, man. Yeah. I wish I could go, man. Yeah. Um, anyway, look, if you're serious about distilling, Warren, this is the event for you. You can even run into Warren, apparently, <laughs> at the Craft Spirits Conference. I can run into me? If you're into that, yeah. You can yeah. run into yourself. Warren's going. Warren's I'm attending this. I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be at the Gin Summit also, um, where, wow. they're, where they're going to be talking about all things about how to make it, how to even use it in a bar. And so it's for professionals and amateurs and even just gin fans. Um there's going to be tastings from gins from all, all North and South America, oh, and they're even going to be comparing uh, bases, so grains, grapes, other fruit bases of gins. It's going to be an intense day. Fantastic um, stuff. Uh, so go to distilling.com. Check out for more information. When you register, because I know you're going to, use the code HEADS, H-E-A-D-S, and the uh, American Distilling Institute will give you $150 off of your conference ticket. Yeah. By you, using code HEADS. So you listen type in to us, heads. you saved $150. And you get to see me. <laughs> Maybe. You you have the potential That's to see one. Right, yeah. Uh, so check them out. Uh, the American Distilling Institute's uh, Craft Spirits Conference. Again, that's distilling.com. Be sure to use the code HEADS uh, for a $150 discount. All right, Warren, great show, as always, of course. Yes. You did, I mean, you did very good, yes. Uh, Marco uh, from Charbet, thank you very much for sending the stuff in and all of that kind of fun time. I don't yeah. know. My brain is swimming from whiskey. Go to their and, website. You need to figure out how to get this stuff. 
Yeah, you need it in your life. It's really good, guys. It's really good. We're not uh, we're not joking. Uh, our next show for um, when is it? For April. April. Yes, for yes. April. We're going to have Martin Kate in here. He wrote a book called Smuggler's Cove. He's a big tiki guy. He owns Smuggler's Cove in San Francisco, um, oh, yeah. Holly Pelly up there in Portland, and a couple other places. He's going to be teaching us all about rum. So part of the, what we want to do for the show is. Do these interviews with the craft spirits, craft distillers, but also talk about the spirit itself. And so the next show we're going to do is our first show about that, all about rum. Yeah. And Martin's going to come in. And look, I've been playing around with some of the rums that he's been recommending in his book. And it is, they're they're crazy. They're cra- it's not just, here's like, like goslings. It's good rum, black rum. Um, but, you know, it's kind of just blah, one, two-dimensional. Some of these other rums, it, they'll blow you away. So stay tuned for that. He's going to be in studio. He's going to have a few rums. Talk to us a little bit about the history, kind of what is rum, what does it mean, and then we're going to be tasting some. Perfect. I'm really excited about it. So anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on this show, and we will see you next month. Bye-bye.